Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by Sup China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, and I'm Ada Shen in Paris. The coronavirus rages on. Trump and Xi talk, and industries reckon with a shaky 2020. Ada, start us off by giving us a brief rundown. Of the latest on this epidemic, Kaiser total confirmed infections are approaching forty thousand, and deaths are nearing eight hundred, nearly all in China, particularly in and around Wuhan, where the outbreak first occurred in December. Cases around the world have climbed more slowly, including on a cruise ship docked off the coast of Japan. The first American died of the disease last week at a hospital in Wuhan. The U.S. Embassy in Beijing provided few details about the person besides the age of the 60-year-old. And grief and anger spread across China last week after whistleblower Li Wenliang died of the coronavirus. In December, Li had told medical colleagues about a worrying new illness in Wuhan, but was punished by local authorities for spreading rumors. Though those supposed rumors turned out to be among the first warnings of the new virus, an outpouring of grief and anger erupted online in China, demanding protection for whistleblowers. In response, Beijing's top graftbuster has dispatched a task force to Wuhan to conduct what it said would be a comprehensive investigation into what happened to him. In other coronavirus news, media reports emerge that China is considering delaying the annual meeting of its top legislative body scheduled for March, though the foreign ministry told reporters it had no information on the reports. In a phone call last week, U.S. President Donald Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping reaffirmed their commitment to implementing the Phase One trade deal signed last month, despite the epidemic. The conversation marked the first publicized communication between the two leaders since the outbreak began last month. The epidemic has raised concerns that China might not be able to make the purchases it promised. Reports have emerged that Chinese officials were hoping the U.S. would agree to some flexibility on the pledges in the deal. While China's state-run Xinhua news agency didn't mention whether Xi discussed the purchase commitment with Trump. White House economic adviser Larry Kudlow said the two leaders agreed that while the virus may slow down Chinese purchases of U.S. exports, the transactions will get completed by the end of the year. Separately, 
China said last week it would have tariffs on about $75 billion worth of U.S. goods starting next week. A senior Chinese health official has assumed a key position at the top policymaking organ in the central province of Hubei, home to Wuhan and the region worst affected by the epidemic. Wang Hosheng, a vice minister of the National Health Commission, has been appointed as a senior member of the Communist Party's Hubei Provincial Committee. The move was rubber-stamped by the party's central committee, which is led by Xi Jinping. Wang, 58, will help lead the task force dispatched to Hubei by the Central Committee to supervise and guide epidemic control. Before working at the Health Commission, Wang spent a decade in Tianjin, including serving a six-year stint as chief of the city health bureau. Wang has a robust health background, having graduated from medical school in Tianjin in the 1980s. A number of manufacturers in China, including several automakers, have said they will refit their production lines to make medical supplies such as face masks as shortages hamper the country's efforts to contain the still-growing coronavirus outbreak. A joint venture formed by General Motors and two Chinese auto partners said it will have 14 production lines making masks by the end of the month. Total production capacity will reach 1.7 million units per day, they said. Shenzhen-based carmaker BYD is also set to refit the manufacturing capabilities of one of its subsidiaries in Guangdong province. A source familiar with the matter said that it plans to make disinfectants and face masks. Contract manufacturing titan and Apple partner Foxconn has started to make masks in Shenzhen through its Shanghai-listed unit. A spokesperson told Caixin that its mask production capacity would reach 2 million units per day by the end of this month. Foxconn said the masks it produces will largely be for internal use, however, as the company has nearly 1 million workers on the Chinese mainland. These manufacturers are in part responding to calls from local governments which are offering incentives such as easing access to production licenses. The massive spike in demand for medical gear has been a boon to manufacturers in the sector. For example, Shandong province-based Hongyu Medical Company, which went bankrupt in 2016, restarted production recently after receiving a nearly half-million-dollar loan from its local government. China's financial regulator has ordered banks to lower interest rates and to allow delayed repayment of loans to help small and mid-sized companies impacted by the coronavirus. However, the measures are not working as intended, bankers and analysts say, as the moves are heightening financial risk in the banking sector and adding to small business debt. Under the latest directives, banks heeding Beijing's call to support small and medium-sized companies during the outbreak could make problematic loans to firms that might not meet their standards under normal circumstances. While that might help such firms stay in business another month or two, it could also weaken banks by forcing them to lower interest rates and make loans with higher risk. The money could also be wasted if companies cannot quickly return to normal business levels. The outbreak has hit small businesses especially hard, with most saying that they are suffering a severe cash crunch. A survey of a thousand small and mid-sized companies by Tsinghua and Peking universities showed that two-thirds said they can only survive one or two months on their current savings. Related, China's banking regulator may give financial institutions another year to comply with sweeping new asset management rules issued in 2018 and set to take effect in December 2020, Caixin learned from several sources close to the regulatory commission. 
With little progress by banks in overhauling their wealth management products, regulators have solicited opinions from several big state-owned banks and proposed extending a transition period for compliance with the new rules to the end of 2021. The proposal was discussed before the coronavirus outbreak, and now the possibility of a further extension of the transition period has increased, sources said. China's overhaul of its $16 trillion asset management industry is part of a broader Beijing-led campaign to rein in financial risks and control leverage in the financial system that many warned was at dangerous levels. The revamped rules were particularly aimed at curving off-balance sheet shadow banking activities that were increasingly seen as a threat to financial stability. In the wake of the coronavirus, several China-listed firms are buying back shares to prop up their stock prices. State-owned steel giant China Baowu Steel has increased its stake in a listed subsidiary to stabilize the unit's share price after it was pummeled in the last few weeks. Baowu has arranged to increase its stake in Baoshan Iron and Steel by nearly 2%, with a small buyback this week and a larger one within six months, which would bring its total shareholding to 64%. Other listed companies have launched similar plans. Chemicals company Zhejiang Longsheng Group plans to spend 140 million U.S. dollars over the next six months to buy back its shares. Construction giant China Gojoba Group will increase its holdings of its own shares by up to 2% over the next six months. And New Hope Liuhe, a major Chinese animal feed producer, has earmarked up to 60 million U.S. dollars to buy back its own shares. In China, it is a common tactic for companies to buy back their own stock after their share prices tumble. The buybacks can help put a floor under a stock's price and are often backed by the government. During the stock market crash of 2015, the state-owned Assets Supervision and Administration Commission, which oversees the country's biggest SOEs, released a statement encouraging them to increase their stakes in their own companies and ban them from selling stock. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now to Doug Young, Managing Editor of Caixin Global, for a look at some of the big stories in the week's news. Doug, everyone knows about the coronavirus and that it's having an impact on the economy in China and elsewhere. Let's zero in on some of the industries that are hardest hit by this. Uh, One of them, of course, is tourism. Uh, So what do we know about the impact on tourism? Give give us your take on that. This all broke out during the Chinese New Year, uh, which is one of the biggest travel periods of the year. So, of course, everybody's moving. A big portion of those are going home. But a lot of them are also going on on trips, you know, in China and abroad and foreigners maybe are coming into China as well. Well, basically, a lot of that has been put on hold. In addition to all that, the travel agents and, and hotels are basically all being leaned upon really heavily by the government to give full refunds for everything. So it's very bad news for the uh, tourism industry. They're basically not only losing all their income for this, you know, foreseeable future, they probably won't be able to start collecting tour fees and hotel fees again for at least another month. Uh, They're losing all that income. They've got to process all these refunds. It just looks really bad. And we've seen a few of the companies talk about it, uh, like, Trip.com, which used to be called C-Trip, was talking about it. Meituan is another company. You know, there's not a whole lot that they can say except, you know, we're going along with it. We're, we're helping in the fight against uh, the coronavirus. But, you know, the bottom line is these guys are all going to see a really bad first quarter. 
And then on top of that, one of the industry analysts that we talked with said we could end up seeing a, you know, a bit of an industry consolidation slash overhaul. Uh, we might see a lot of the sort of smaller individual property hotel operators, you know, city hotels closing down and, and we'll probably see a lot of smaller tour operators also fold. So this industry is uh, just starting to feel the pain and, and probably will continue to feel it for at least the next few months. Okay, so that's tourism, unsurprisingly, taking a really big hit with domestic inbound and outbound all hurting. Uh, what about the movie industry? That's got to be hard hit as well, no? The tourism guys got hit pretty bad. The The film industry has probably gotten hit worse. I, I really don't think there's another industry in China that's probably getting hammered as, as big as the film industry. And not so much the film industry as specifically the cinema operators. We've seen basically every single cinema in China. Uh, you know, maybe there's one or two that are, are managing to get by there, but uh, pretty much everybody in China has been forced to close. Uh, and, you know, for obvious reasons, they're trying to limit places where lots of people gather and can spread this disease. And cinemas seems like a, a pretty obvious choice there. But, you know, of course, these cinemas have got to keep paying rent. They have all have payrolls that they've got to meet and, and so forth. So it's it's really looking bad for cinemas. And on top of all that, it's similar to the travel industry. Uh, the the Chinese New Year has, is like a real peak season for people to go to the cinema because there's a big week to sometimes as much as two or three week holiday. So people like to go to see the movies. And uh, one of the groups that we talked to said they actually get about 8% of their revenue, their box office revenue for the whole year just comes in that five or six day peak uh, viewing period of the Chinese New Year. So they're gonna lose out on that. Things are just not looking good. And then uh, to top everything off, China's uh, movie theater or cinema industry was already in pretty bad straits. Uh, there's been a lot of overbuilding in the industry over the last few years. And, um, you know, I think this is probably just going to cause even more closures of cinemas. I think in the year through the end of this past June, around 500 cinemas closed, uh, which is a pretty high number. So uh, China was already looking a little wobbly in terms of uh, the cinema industry. And like I said, with the travel industry, this is probably going to lead to a bit of acceleration of the uh, consolidation. And we'll probably see, you know, a speeding up of uh, the number of smaller, weaker cinema operators going out of business. Not that this would help the cinema operators, but I do remember that uh, when all of this started a few weeks ago, they canceled these eight highly anticipated films. But one of them, a film called Lost in Russia uh, from the same franchise that did the very popular Lost in Thailand and Lost in Hong Kong movies, uh, the studio and the distributor decided to release this film, Lost in Russia, online. And their stock got a real big bump out of it. Uh, so are we going to start seeing more of these films being released online or are they going to be held for later release or, or what? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I imagine some of them, uh, maybe a lot of them will end up getting held and released at later days because a lot of these were big budget films. But then you do, like you say, the, the Lost in Russia was actually a pretty high profile case. They released it online. Like you say, it got a lot of views, but they decided to release it for free. So, you know, if you were looking forward to seeing it in the theaters and suddenly you get to see it for free in the 
comfort of your home when you're basically being stuck at home because you don't want to go out, you know, that's not a bad deal. So I, I do imagine we'll see. And then there was another uh, movie I think was going to be released on Valentine's Day. I can't remember the name, though. It got released online also and, and has been doing really well. But, you know, it's good news for the online operators. I think in these two cases, one was Tencent Video, and then also iQIYI was one. And then I think ByteDance also got involved in it too. So I guess the operators are, are you know, the online operators are, are probably pretty happy. But, you know, the, the filmmakers can't be too happy about this. And, you know, they'll, they'll probably try to release these later in the year. But don't forget the theaters book their movies, you know, months in advance. So there may not be a whole lot of openings for such uh, blockbuster movies to, to hit theaters later in the year. Well, Doug, we know you're in Beijing, so stay safe. Watch as many movies as you can online from the safety of your home, and we will talk to you next week. Okay, I'll do that. Thanks, Kaiser. Thank you, Doug. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out the China in Africa podcast by Eric Olander and Kobus van Staden, the latest member of the Seneca Network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.